Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch we are counseling on Man Cave's Corn Crib Edition. I love having a place I can call my own. Not just because it gives me a place to house my gear, but because it gives me a place to take pride in. From the guitars on the wall to the knickknacks and the memories, this guitar sanctuary is mine. I recently visited Lloyd at his converted corn crib, his music-making shred shed, and today we will talk about the place and the gear that is stored in it. But what makes a good guitar man cave? Can you find it by accident? How personal should it get? Do you need to have a lot of gear to make it worth it? Why does Lloyd have a screen door hung up on his wall? How loud can you play? Will a pickup change rescue a finished Les Paul? And cats. Why are they everywhere? And what did they do to Lloyd's pedal board? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for being here on the couch once again to have a conversation about something that when I showed up to your farm, I knew I wanted to talk about. So thank you, Lloyd, for being back again on the couch. Dr. T, always good to be here. And, you know, it's interesting the story on how we ended up meeting up because I'm in Texas and you are up the road and to the right in a place called Southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. That's right. A wee jaunt. So the whole reason why I ended up 635 miles away from my home towards your home was my wife's grandmother had passed away and we were doing a celebration of life. And we decided that on the way up, we were going to stop in St. Louis. And I remember thinking you and I had talked about, you know what, maybe we should just meet up in St. Louis sometime. It'd be a lot of fun. We can go to some guitar stores. Mm-hmm. And we were in St. Louis, and I was like, what route are we taking to get all the way up to Appleton, Wisconsin, which is where Life Fest is, and it also happened to be where the funeral was going to be. Mm-hmm. On that Wednesday morning, all of a sudden, I went, I bet you we're not too far away. And I gave you a call and said, hey, what are you doing today? <laughs> and your response was, why, you coming into town, come to see me? And I went, I think so. <laughs> It was a surprise. I think I said, I think I said, you're in St. Louis, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I was. I was in St. Louis. And so we made it up. And I will tell you, it was the highlight of my trip for sure to get to see you in your element, in your home, to get to see your bride, who I have not seen in a very long time. And it was one of the best couple of hours that I had all Thanksgiving. Yeah, a couple hours. That was it. But you know, I was I was so happy that you called. You could have driven right on by and never known. But yeah, it was it was a perfect day. I'm a contractor by trade. And I've been uh, building this home edition that we want to get done by Christmas. And I've been there every day, every day, every day. Any other day, I wouldn't have been able to get away as easy as that day. You called on the perfect day. (laughs) And I told you that on the phone. I'm like, today I'm wide open. Yeah, and it was was so much fun. So to kind of paint a picture for those of you that need that, we were on the interstate. Everything looks great. Southern Illinois, relatively flat, a little windy, but not too much. And then we get off the road 
and it was mostly paved roads, so that was good. But my GPS had me going to the middle of nowhere between roads. Mm -hmm. And that's where things were a little sketchy, because I was like, is it underground? Mm. Like, I I don't know what we're doing here. But it was actually relatively easy to find it. And it was so exciting, because as we come in to the road, I'm like... There's only one house that's even <laughs> remotely close. Yeah, it makes it easy. To where this dot is pointing. And so we so we we pull up and then there's your bride and about 30 cats. Yep. They're all there to all greet over you. The place. Yep. I know. Yep. They were. Mhm. It is a stellar place. How did you end up living in the middle of nowhere? Cuz I know that you are from Illinois. You went to school in Illinois. You lived in Minnesota for a long time, but then you ended up in Illinois again. So how did you end up with the farm? And and how did you end up converting a corn crib into a music-making shred shed? <laughs> you know me, shred master. <laughs> the house that we live in now was bought by Tanya's great-great-grandfather in 1893. Wow. Yeah. And it's been in the family. It's been in the family ever since. And so when we lived in Minnesota, we were talking about wanting to, at first we were just talking about moving a little bit farther out into the country because we're not, we're not city folk. Just that I use the word folk tells you that we're not city people, you know? And so we're, we're, uh, we're country hicks. Yeah. And so, um, and we wanted to get closer to family, you know, mom and dad getting older on both sides. A lot of niece and nephews that we didn't get to see very much. So we had we had been throwing that around, and and you know that we talked about that both when we lived up in Minnesota about getting out of there sometime. Yeah. So out of the blue, really, we got told by Tanya's aunt about, hey, would you be interested in buying the farm? It was going to be available, and they wanted it to be sold to somebody in the family, preferably. You know, because it's been, oh, yeah. it's, it's always been in the family. I'd like to keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. And it seemed crazy, but not wrong. And we were kind of like, well, let, let's, uh, let's think about this a little bit. And it didn't take long. Yeah. We decided to move down here. Like I said, it was kind of crazy because as you, uh, as you noticed, there isn't a lot of opportunity around where I live. No, no. Yeah. You know, a lot of farming. Yes. A lot of cattle. Mm-hmm. Cattle. Crops and bars. That's about it. And oh, and I guess hair salons. That's about it. <laughs> oh, and because people got to get their hair cut, right. get their hair did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my skill set, you know, I was already doing carpentry up in the cities, and I was like, oh, let me, I'll hang up a shingle down here. So that's how we got here. Yeah, I I love history. Mm-hmm. I can cut into a chunk of wood, and you know, and I get history out of just counting the rings and go, man, this tree was standing here when Abraham Lincoln was walking these grounds, you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. And so to buy a place like this, that that's been oh, in the yeah. family since 1893, that has the mm-hmm. old part of the house that was built in the 1880s. I was all in. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's do it to have a barn. Now. Yeah. It's a lot of outbuildings. It's been a lot of work. We've had to put a roof on every building here. That's where a lot of our money has gone over the years, putting metal roofs back yeah. on and keeping just because the maintenance was way down on the place, mm-hmm. which gets us to the corn crib. Yeah. Cause you actually have a few different buildings on this property. Cause it's not just the house. It's not just 
what I guess is a garage, even though you guys don't really use it because you think it's going to fall over or something. There's a machine shed. Yep. There's a barn, a really cool barn. And of course, an outhouse. Yep. That was one of the first buildings that I salvaged and saved. I was like, well, we, you know, we got to keep the outhouse. Yeah. I mean, most people blow it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one way or the other. But that's figurative. Yes. One way or the other. (laughs) Hopefully not. But you ended up telling me a story about how you had your gear, you had all your stuff, and you were trying to figure out the place. Like, what were you going to do with the place? But there was still a bunch of stuff in this old corn crib. Yeah. And you hadn't even really gone into it yet. No, we... Until things kind of warmed up. So tell me a little bit about that. We moved here in November... It's not like Minnesota, but we still, it's cold, you know, and through November through February is, is winter here. Right. Like I said, all the buildings need a lot of work, but you know, it's November and the corn crib looked awful. There was three big holes in the roof in various places. Uh, the biggest one that was probably about three feet in diameter. Wow. The, the side of the roof that's faced the house had a big slope in it. You know, it looked like oh. a little smiley face. And this building is just needs to be pushed over. And so I never even went in there because since this place had been in the family, everybody had kind of moved on at various points. They never took everything with them. And so the crib had become a catch-all for all kinds of crap. And so it was just full of literal, literal crap and people leftover crap. And for those who don't know what a corn crib is, they used to harvest corn because all the way around us, the family still owns and farms the ground that's around us. And this crib was where they would dry the corn. They would harvest the corn in whole ears. So it was the corn was still on the cob. And to dry them, they would put them in this, yeah, they'd put them in this crib and the crib would have had open slats where air could blow through to dry the crop. Well, over the years, they used it in different ways. They covered up the sides of it and decided to uh, fill it full of, uh, you know, like, kernel corn and beans at various times during the years instead of, as you saw around here, there's all sorts of grain bins. That's what people use now. Yeah, most of the time I think of these circular bins, yeah. you know, like a rocket ship getting ready to take off. Exactly. But in this case, this is really kind of like a barn with a little bit of a steeple to it. Yep, that's right, which is a cupola at the top. Um, a cupola. Yeah, and, and it's inside of it, it has a, a mechanism that would have a conveyor belt on it. You would pull in the middle of this crib, and the the grain would actually be emptied into this, the sides, the right or left of it. And the floor is raised up about a foot, so it has a wood floor about a foot higher than the area you drive in at ground level. And then they would yeah. just fill the sides full. And this is the way this thing had been used up until the mid-90s, actually. So fairly recently, although that's, you know, 20, 25 years ago now, but yeah. in our world. Oh, you're talking about the 1990s, not the 1890s. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Better be specific there. So fairly recently, you know. Yeah. When they stopped using it that way is when they started filling it full of all kinds of junk. Sure. I, so I didn't even go in there. So here we are. It was in June. I had been working out of the front of the barn. I was like, you know, we're going to build a garage on the house. I'm going to have to build myself a shop over there. Yeah. Or I had thought about converting part of the barn into a shop, but I didn't love that idea. Okay. So here it was. It was now May, actually. So we'd we'd been here like five months now. 
And I just got a flashlight and I thought, I'm going to go and, and see, you know, here I've lived here five months and there is a building on our property that I haven't even been in. <laughs> so so I grabbed the flashlight and I went in there literally, you know, because it was all dark, no electricity in there at all. And, and I started mm -hmm. climbing over top of things. And what I mentioned to you when you were here, when we were in the barn, the barns are made out of white pine. And white pine, yeah. when it gets wet, it acts like a sponge. And so when you see mm -hmm. old barns that have holes in the roofs, they don't last long. They will rot and they will fall in fast. And so yeah. when I looked at the crib and I saw three big holes all over this roof all winter, I was like, well, this building's just going to have to get pushed over. Right. So when I was surprised when I went in there and I'm walking around with the flashlight looking at all the stuff and loving the old architecture of it. Because this thing was built around, you know, 1900s, you know. Oh, yeah. And so I just I just love that. And I'm just picturing how it was used and the people who build it, which are Tanya's relatives, which is pretty cool. Right. And I start looking at the bones of the building, the frame of it. And I started to notice mm -hmm. that the frame was solid. There was very little rot. All the holes that were in the roof, the way it was built, it wasn't on a, on a foundation that was ever meant to take the weight that they had put in it with the oh, kernels okay. of corn. And so that's why it had sagged. Because it literally is sitting on these big two foot by two foot limestone pillars that are set around on top of the ground. And then these big beams are set on top of that. That's how it was built. Yeah. And so it had sunk into the mud a little bit when it was overweighted and they had a heavy rainy spring. But I noticed that the frame was really great. And I went, oh, my, this is my shop. This is it. Yeah. And so I came in and told Tanya and she was all on board on it and put a new roof on it, metal, fix it all up there and went from there. I really wish that I would have done a video of you showing me around, just showing me around the crib because it is pretty cool. Like we walked up and you opened the big old sliding door and I was immediately in awe. Because, I mean, you've, you've done a good job with that shop. Of course, I was greeted with a gigantic noose, and that was kind of <laughs> weird. Not quite sure why you have a hanging, Ugh. you know, vessel in there. Well, let, but, me, let me tell you then. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, it was a little weird mm -hmm. to see, you know... You know, we play the game hangman, we don't actually hang men. <laughs> yeah, and that, was, and that was actually the first thing... That was put up, or da or dare I say, hung up in the crib, <laughs> was that noose. You can really think of the crib as in three sections. It's 30 feet wide, and it's three sections of 10 feet. There were 10 feet on either side that were up a foot that are raised areas where all the grain went, and 10 foot in the middle to, to drive through. And then there are walls, you know, that separated all those areas. And so I pulled yeah. out for about 30 feet back when you walk in all the walls off there and put a couple beams up to hold the roof up so it would open up. And what I was planning on doing, and this is part of what I love about the crib, because I, I love old. I told you I love old stuff, old, I love old architecture, love all that. And so I was kind of, what am I going to do with this middle section? Because I wanted to get it up a foot so that I have a flat floor over the whole area. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, 
you know, the, the floor looks like what you would expect to find going into like an old grocery store, an old wood plank floor. That's what it's got. Yeah. It's got four inch wide fur plank flooring and it, it's old patina, you know. And so mm-hmm. I was like, what am I going to do in the middle that looks all right? And Because I'm like, I might just have to get like treated plywood might be the most economic thing. Sure. But I, did, I didn't love that idea. So, no, it's not as pretty. No. So while I was brewing on this, I was cleaning out the crib and all the because there was so much stuff in there, all kinds of junk. And like I said, my first thought was, well, I, I got to get it dry first. So the roof was the first thing I did. But once I got all that and I'm, I'm walking around in there, I noticed that there was one because the crib had been sectioned off in different bins, really. There were little sections in it where they could put beans in one section and corn in another section. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so this one section, right when you walked in, there was a bin that the walls were covered with four inch fur tongue and groove plank boards. And I wow. looked at those and I went, this is my floor. Yeah. I also, you know, I don't cuss very often, but I use an expletive because I knew I had to do this and I knew how much work it was going to be. Yeah. But the floor you walked on, that's where that came from. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the floor was so cool. I, I mean, I didn't realize it. I was looking at pictures before we started talking. And as I was looking at the pictures, I was like, gosh, that floor is really nice for it being a corn crib. Yeah. You know, didn't realize that it was the wall of the corn crib. Yeah. That became the floor of the corn crib. Just, just the middle section. Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. But as I was walking in, which, by the way, we never answered what the noose is actually for. Yes. You, you should explain what the noose is for. It's not so, for people. So I mentioned earlier <laughs> that there's this mechanism that's uh, up in the cupola that had uh, a conveyor system where they would pull the wagons in. And then they would uh, dump the grain into, there was like some poured concrete. Underneath that floor, it's still there. There's some poured concrete that would, uh, was lower than the ground. Mm -hmm. And this conveyor belt with those little buckets would come in and it would scoop up the grain and take it up into the mechanism that would dump it into these chutes. And these chutes would put the grain wherever they wanted in different areas of the, uh, the crib to store it. But... To get the grain out of the wagon, you either have to hop in the wagon with a shovel and scoop the grain out, or somebody Mm -hmm. had the idea of, hey, let's put a pulley system in front of the wagon, we'll tie a rope to it, and we can lift the front of the wagon up, and we can dump the wagon, and we can just dump the grain that way. Oh, yeah. And so that pulley system was still there, and I was like, well, I want to leave this. So I have these three pulleys, and the one pulley would have come right down in the middle of the room. And so I was like, well, that's kind of a weird way for me to have a rope hanging there. Yeah. But I was like, (laughs) I've got this pulley system that's supposed to have rope on it. I got to put rope on it. And so I wrapped the rope around it kind of the way it would have been used so you can get it. And then on the one end I have tied off and the other end I have a noose. So, yeah, yeah. but that was the first thing that I put up actually. That's funny. Because, you know, you know, there's all kind of signage in that place right now. Oh, there's tons people of People understand, you know, I, I'm a contractor. What this space is, is it's a combination. It's an actual working shop. It's also my man's lair. And it's, yeah. it's both. I've got table saws, drill press, you know, chop saws, all kinds of tools that uh, actually the last couple of days I've been building some sliding doors 
for a job site that I'm on. And I love it to be able to just go outside and work in the crib is I wish I could do that all the time. But it's also set up to be kind of my hangout as well. Yeah. And actually, there's a number of things that makes it a really cool hangout. And I want to talk about those. But I think we should actually talk a little bit about guitar gear to make sure that we keep people from just turning off. If they haven't already. If they haven't already. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about the gear because I actually posted it up on Instagram about your guitar crib, which I told you, look on Instagram. It's there. And you said, I don't have an Instagram. And I said, but I tagged you. And you went, what? (laughs) You have an Instagram, whether you know it or not. (laughs) Um, Seriously, you have people who are following you. I didn't know if you knew this. Wonderful. (laughs) Yes. How many followers? I I don't know, like three. I don't know. But the point is that I posted it up and, and I had a bunch of pictures. You're like, I'd love to see them. And I was like, okay, I'll send you a few, but you really go to the social media, man. Go, go look at it. It's there. But one of the things that I posted up was your amps, your wall of amplifiers. Cause you have the black star, you have the Marshall, you have big savage cab, your nailer. And so I think we should talk about those a little bit because you have a unique ability being in this gigantic corn crib and no neighbors within a mile. Yeah. Yes. You get to play at 104 dB if you want to. Yeah. And we did, didn't we? Oh, we sure did. And it was glorious. <laughs> it was fun to see Owen, you know, coming and be like, from his perspective, his world that he lives in, guitar is never that loud. Right. It's not. He's never experienced that. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh my gosh, you know. And I have a neighbor who lives a mile directly south of us, goes to the same church as us, named Larry. And there was one night, because there there are a lot of nights where, you know, I I care about my hearing. So when I do crank it up really loud, I'll run a big long cable or hook a wireless up or something. And I'll I'll stand outside and I'll watch the sunset. I'm outside sitting on the crib there. Maybe I'll throw in some tunes that I'm playing along with or something. And I'll be playing guitar, watching the sunset. I'm loud. I'm like, this is a Marshall half stack. I really should open it up once in a while. And so I will. So it was a Saturday night. I was playing a while there. I think I was playing along with the uh, Brian Adams Wake Your Neighbors album. (laughs) (laughs) Very fitting for this story. Oh, my gosh. Exactly right. (laughs) Next day, I walk into church, and he's like, thanks for the serenade last night. (laughs) He's a mile away. (laughs) But... You know, out in the middle of nowhere, nothing to block the sound. But, you know, I haven't had a single complaint from any of the neighbors. and I Not that they're very close, yeah. but I do have one closer than a, than a mile. But nobody's ever commented that they're bothered by it or anything. So, Well, that's because you're such an amazing player. Yeah, that's really what it is. Exactly right. Yeah. That's it. Well, it was interesting because we were, I mean, we were playing at, it was 104 dB based on what was said on my watch. And, I mean... It really didn't seem that loud because we were in the cupola area. So the sound kind of went and just traveled other places and didn't really bounce back. Yeah. And so it was it was just nice and and it was clear and it was great. Now granted, I wasn't right in front of the Savage Cab. Yeah. I was just off to the side of it. Mm -hmm. And that was really good. And I called Owen in, you know, or my 
14 year old cork sniffer and he comes in i was like listen to this and he was like it's really loud and i said okay well now just walk past (laughs) the amplifier over towards like where the grain stuff would have been like put in and he starts walking and he's just like oh my gosh like you could tell that he was like that is way louder than i expected and then he was like that was crazy and i was like what come on back over and then he walks past again and it was an experience as a city slicker which he is he doesn't get to experience farms but yeah. he also got to experience loud music yeah or loud guitar at that point and it's an experience that is unlike anything else there's just something about playing it loud that makes it all sound good. Yeah, it's, you know, we've talked about before that, you know, you can throw an attenuator on your Marshall with all the technology they have right now, like with your Waza, you know, all that. It's, yep. you can get it. It, it sounds great. But mm-hmm. there's an element of the interaction between the amp, not just being turned up loud and in the, in the, in the tubes cooking, but the speakers getting fed everything that they can handle and them naturally compressing and the cabinet itself. Mm -hmm. And it's a different thing. And it's fun to be able to experience that the way, you know, nature slash Marshall intended, you know, crank that sucker up. But that Savage cab, you know, it's uh, it all cabs are this way. Generally right in front of a speaker cabinet is not the most enjoyable place to be most of the time. I don't remember what there's there's a there's a name for it. There's a it's the Munson curve, right? Yeah, and it's just your ears don't don't pick up the the sound comes to you at slightly different distances from you know the the high frequencies and low frequencies, and so it just sounds bad when you're standing in front of it because it's not hitting you all at the same time. Where it doesn't right. affect a microphone, it does affect your ears, and so it always sounds better to stand. You get more of a natural of sound of what it actually sounds like just a little bit off axis but that cab has always been you know we've talked about that before where when i bring that to events for some reason it projects so loud so far and it always has oh yeah yeah that savage cab is one of my favorite sounding cabinets just simply because of how natural it sounds. And it's really designed like a Marshall cab. Yeah. It shouldn't sound better than a Marshall cab, but in some ways it really does. And it doesn't matter what speakers you put in there. Nope. It always sounds good. It When I got it, it was had four vintage 30s in it. And now yep. it's got three greenbacks and a scumback equivalent greenback in it. Mm-hmm. But... It, yeah, it doesn't matter. It, whatever I put in it, I love it. Yeah. It was actually designed Savage Audio in Savage, Minnesota. They have, you remember, a whole collection of Marshalls and Vox and Fender amplifiers that yeah. are that are on a wall that's really awesome. And they have this yeah, old beat-to-heck 1960 Marshall, original Marshall cab. That's uh, I think the old, most of the Tolex is all off of it. And Jeff, who owns Savage, he told me one time that that Savage cab that I own was a uh, copy of that specific Marshall cab. It's yeah. built to its exact specs. Yeah, a lot of cabs are like that though, but that one, that one was. Of course, that one. I know the Marshall cab they took the measurements off of because they're like that yeah. one sounds so great, and it, it does. It sounds great. 
It really does. I remember you playing it plugged in with a Marshall, which is what we just did. And then you also plugged it in with the Blackstar 100 HT. What was it? No, it's not an HT. It's the Series 1. Oh, that's right. The Series 1. Yeah. And it sounded amazing through that thing, too. I mean, of course, that Blackstar head is a great sounding head. It sounded really good clean. And then you drove it, and I went, well, that sounds really good. And then you put it on channel two, and I went, that sounds like a modded Marshall. Sounds like a Marshall with a pedal in front of it. I wasn't sure if you would like it or not. Because it's it's I got, liked it. It's I got liked a, it a lot. And I told you, because it's got a lot of teeth to the tone. Oh, yeah. It's hairy. But keep in mind, I like a Marshall driven with a rat. Yeah. And that would be kind of the same type thing, except maybe... Maybe a little more of the DS1 type sound to it instead yeah. of the, the rat. Yeah. But, you know, it sounded really good. Yeah, it cuts really well. Mm-hmm. Your brother, Paul, I took that Savage Cab and that Black Star Series 1 head to the uh, event up in the Wisconsin Dells years ago that Paul was at. You know, because most of the time when I play with uh, Echelon, I'm, I'm usually a clean amplifier, edge of breakup with an overdrive pedal for rock and roll. That's right. that's my formula with Echelon. And so that, well, which also makes sense because of the volume you need to be at to right. get the kind of drive you want by the overdrive, but you also get to run it a little bit hotter on the clean. Yeah. That's you know, right. cuz you a lot of times you use your Vibrolux or or the Nailer or something like that. Yeah. And so um I brought that up there and I was totally planning on sticking on the clean channel with probably the Barber Direct Drive. I really liked using with that. That was yep. my plan. And I'm set up on the stage, and there's you know pretty large event. I think they had seven or 800 at the event at this time yet, so we we're going to be pretty loud anyway. Paul hopped up on stage, and I had it set up with the direct drive and switch it over to the second channel to get the actual Blackstar overdrive. And he was like, oh, you got to use that. Like I said, it's got more teeth to it, more hair. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it's not exactly what Echelon normally sounds like. But he's like, oh, you got to do it. And so that's what I used all weekend. He was like, that was the most professional sounding rock and roll. He said, I, f- I felt like I was at a, like a, a real concert. <laughs> you know, that's it. It, it. That's the reason why Echelon never got the national or international recording contracts is because you didn't have enough teeth on your tone. That was it. That's what we learned. So that's right. Anyway, sure, sure. You had your success, but you could have gone platinum, multi platinum, had you had that. Mm. Instead, you only have a gold record. Only one lousy gold record. What are you going to do? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. And for those of you that think I'm joking, I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> they actually do have a gold record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So Thank you, Thrive. L- let's go ahead. And let's move to the next thing, because we talked a little bit about the amps. And actually, I would love to talk more about the gear. I think that you and I should come back on again, and we should have a little conversation about why we own what we own. Okay. On a separate podcast? Yeah, a completely different one. I think that that would be kind of a fun little conversation to have. I also want to have a conversation about something you brought up the other day when we had a phone conversation. This was pre-crib time about fakes and the ethics of of a fake 
or like guitars or clones or whatever. We should have that conversation too. We're not going to those yet. We're no. not going to do it. No. We want to, but don't. So let's go back to the crib a little bit because there there is a number of things. And then I also want to come back to your pedals and your guitars. I'm very interested in your first impressions. Oh, yeah. I still haven't finished that yet, have I? Of the Baker Act, of the, in the Les Paul. Oh, yes. You know, all, right. all of that. But you know what? Okay. Let's do, let's do this. We're going to take a quick break for the sponsors and regroup a little bit. And we're going to talk about your guitars, which includes the 76 Les Paul, your new 2020 Les Paul, the Baker Act, which is Dean Pickup's head guy, his signature pickup, which happens to be your cousin-in-law? Yes. Yes. Okay. And we're, we're going to go into those things, but we're also going to go a little bit into probably your projector and speakers, maybe a little bit about your one horse open sleigh. Oh, sure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and the fact that you have half of a PRS body, a, a PRS body cut in half. We're going to talk about all those things after a word from our sponsor. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Who doesn't love a party with a purpose? If you love music, family friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In 2023, they will host one of the largest music festivals in the United States, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzmann Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzmann started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at kretzmannguitars.com. Let's hear from our final sponsor. If you like my voice on this podcast, I am using a TechZone Audio Products Stellar X3, and I am honored for the opportunity to represent it. So to talk a little bit more about the gear, because there is something that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, and that was that you had about 30 cats yeah. that were just <laughs> everywhere on the farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where did you get this cat sanctuary? Yeah, we do have some feeder cattle, too, that will be butchered here in January. Okay. But I told Tanya the other day, as we were doing chores in the morning, and we have this table that all these cats will feed on, and I turned around, and I'm like, literally, like 30 cats fighting for their own <laughs> on top of this table. And I'm like, dang it, Tanya, we're a cat farm. Yeah, you, you know? are. <laughs> It just happened. And, you know, we've been here before, though. <laughs> we've had a lot of cats before. We also have a lot of coyotes. And as the cats get older, oh. they start to go out mousing a little bit more. Nature takes its course. And a lot of these cats yeah. are less than a year old. We just had a bunch oh. that were born. So they're not, they stick closer to home right now. They probably won't very long. But we name all the cats. I love all the cats. At the same time, I count on them disappearing, you know, because otherwise. <laughs> we... 
Yeah. Because we're feeding all these Circle suckers. Circle of life. That's exactly right. So. <laughs> so I bring that up because of something that I thought was kind of interesting. As I was looking at your pedal board, I was wondering why one of your pedals had this weird <laughs> green stain on it. <laughs> And you said, well, you know that orange ball that I leave on top of the pedal board? And I was like, yeah, I was wondering why you have like an orange exercise ball just sitting on top of your pedal board. Mm -hmm. And and you point at it. Go ahead and tell me why there's some green, weird, like lime green stain Kind of like a limestone color yeah. on one of your pedals. I know. That that would be Gabe. I'm not very happy with Gabe most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I understand, you know, it, it's it's a trade-off. I love having the amplifiers out in the crib. At the same time, you know, there's elements out there that, uh, that you yeah. have to fight with. And one of those are cats. <laughs> I keep them all covered up. But my pedal board, I just had... I have the canvas over top of all the amplifiers and uh, the pedal board sitting in front of the amplifiers. I had the canvas over that. And for some reason, Gabe decided that he needed to mark his territory right in the middle of my pedal board. <laughs> this big wet stain. <laughs> and and there, oh my God, and I'm not kidding you. A couple of those pedals that I, that I don't turn the knobs very often anyway, I went to turn them and they wouldn't move. <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh my gosh you know i'm sure you've done a podcast before about care of your equipment <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but so you're, it's what a you're trade-off. telling me is that martin told you that you need to take better care of your acoustic and mm-hmm. robert Keeley would be telling you that oh, you're gosh. a terrible human with your, oh, with your pedals yeah so i put that big orange ball Underneath the canvas on top of my pedal board to keep the cat from laying on my pedal board. And it works. <laughs> so which pedal has the urine on top of it? It's uh, the the RC booster. <laughs> yes. Which is already kind of that color anyway. <laughs> well, no, it, well, it wasn't originally. It's a copper pedal. And so yeah. it naturally turns green, naturally. Gabe just helped it along a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. also when acidic environment yeah. is made. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you have a lot of cool things on that pedal board, and we will get into that someday too. But I do want to jump over to the guitars because you decided to do something pretty fun with your 76 gold top, which I do have also on social media. I took that picture of the checking on it. Yeah. And. I put God bless America on it just because <laughs> it, it had your sign oh, in the back yeah. from the corn crib that had like the American flag on it and everything. And it shows the checking so well. But in that guitar, you had actually said that you don't play it as much. And it was just because your classic had done so well and you really liked the way your classic sounded. And then your classic broke and you got insurance money for it. That was in another podcast for anybody who's interested in listening to that one. How, how do you break your own guitar and get money? That's what that should have been labeled. But anyway, <laughs> then you ended up getting this 2020 Gibson Les Paul standard. And you really like it. Or it's a 2019, I think. December 19. Yeah, yeah it's pretty close. But you still found yourself going, I don't necessarily love playing the gold top as much as... And then you got a new pickup set for it. And 
you have a Seymour Duncan 59 in the neck, and you have the Baker Act. Tell me about the Baker Act. Tell me the whole story of the Baker Act. Dean's Guitars, which started, they're really big in the 80s. They're, they've held their own over the years, but in the 80s, it seemed like everybody in the rock and roll world was using Dean's Guitars. So Tanya's cousin married a guy by the name of Pat Baker. Pat Baker, for the last 30 years, has worked at Dean's Guitars in Florida. And mm-hmm. Dean's Guitars always put like Seymour Duncan pickups in all their guitars. And they decided about 10 years ago that they wanted to make their own pickup line and put their own pickups in their guitars. And so they asked Pat if he would be in charge of that. And Pat didn't know anything about doing any of that, but he has a good ear. And he was like, oh, all right, I'm game. I'll, I'll do that. So they bought the equipment. They wound a bunch of different pickups, but he decided to wind his own custom pickup. Mm-hmm. They sell that called the Baker Act pickup. And I'm like, how, how can I not buy the Baker Act pickup? How can I not get this? Oh, yeah. and, and you and I talked about it. And so you were like, yeah, I should get one too. So you and I both bought one. Well, it didn't hurt that they were also running a sale. Yeah. And they were like 30% off. Yeah, they were selling for 60 bucks. It was like, yeah. yeah. It also helped that... I said, well, if he'll autograph it, I'll buy one today. Yeah. And you texted him and he said, yeah, man, I'll sign it if you really want me to. Yeah. And he didn't just sign the pickup. He also signed the box. Yeah. Which, and I thought that was super cool. Yeah. It was very cool. Well, you can't see the, the underside of the pickup anyway. But yeah, no. why, why would you sign the box? But yeah, he did. So. Yeah. So cool. That's going to be mounted on the crib wall somewhere. I haven't decided yet where oh, that's yeah. going to go. But that'll be, that'll add to the. Uh, the decor. Yes. But yeah, so so I was like, I got to get this pickup. And I was like, okay, well, what pickup am I going to, what, what guitar am I going to put it in? I thought about it, thought about it. And the, the my Les Paul uh, 76 Gold Top, I've put various pickups in that over the years. All of them have always been the standard PAF style pickup because I've always liked that. And it didn't, right, you did a wolf tone at one time. That was the one that was most recently you had your in classic it. Classic 57s in it at one time. Yeah, and whatever Seymour Duncan. Yeah, whatever came yeah. I I had uh the original pickups I think were classic 57s. Then I put the Duncans in it, which the Duncan 59 is still in the neck. And then I mm-hmm. then I put the wolf tone in the bridge and that's what's been in there for ever since you moved from Minnesota, so whenever that was. Yep. 12, 15 years. Yeah, and, yeah. and I just kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, well, this, this is what this guitar sounds like. I loved the guitar, never wanted to sell it, but it was always, yep. as we said, it had it was always a little more thin on the high end, really jangly in a really good way. But for lead tone, it had a crunch to it that sometimes when I wanted a little bigger tone out of a big body guitar, that's why I bought the other Les Paul. Right. And they've complemented each other well. But most of the time, I like the warmer, bigger tone of the classic. So yeah. anyway, I was like, well, heck, let's put the Baker Act in the Les Paul. Because I, I had read up a little bit on the website. And uh, talking to Pat, too, he said, well, what you'll notice is it emphasizes the mids a little bit. And it's got a softer high end. And I thought, well, you know, I do have the brightest Les Paul I have ever played. A yeah, soft, it is really bright. Yeah, so I thought a, a softer high end might be an okay thing. So I stuck it in there. Real quick, people need to understand that this is a Norlin era Les Paul. So it has a maple neck 
with a rosewood fretboard. It's got the pancake body. It's a gold top. Kind of got that like 60s styled neck. Although, I mean, it's not like super thin, but it's also not fat or 50s at all. Yeah. So this is generally a brighter guitar. They found that a lot of those Norland eras were considered a little brighter because of some of the woods and the metals that were used and and all of that. Now, go ahead. Go ahead and go on. Yeah. So I put that pickup in there and I went over, I stuck it in and I kind of set the level of the pickup height where I thought it should be per specs. I turned it on just to see if it worked and it did. And then I played very little and I thought, well, I'm just going to turn the phone on and I'm going to record and I'm going to listen back. And I went over to the Marshall. The first thing I noticed is that I could turn the treble up higher than I normally do. And so I turned the treble up. Normally I run the treble at, you know, nine or 10 o'clock, somewhere around there. So I set it at noon and I just turned everything to noon. I put presence, bass, mid, treble, everything. Set everything at noon, and then master preamp, what whatever it was. It was it was kind of more of a cleanish side, and then I had a pedal and I made a clip and I sent it to you right away, and I just mm-hmm. I said this is just a test clip and I played a few little things and I went, this guitar is a whole new beast, and I told Pat later I'm like it's almost like he had my guitar in mind when he designed that pickup. Because what it brings out of that guitar is exactly what that guitar needed. Yeah. It makes the solo notes, they're now bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still plenty bright. It's Mm -hmm. not as bright as most other guitars. You you can run the treble higher on it. Because you you remember that pickup wasn't designed for Les Paul. That pickup was actually designed for more like the Jacksons or the, yeah, the Strat-style strat bodies body. with yep. the humbucker, which which are always brighter. Mm-hmm. And so this guitar was made to make those guitars sound big and fat and warm. And I didn't mm-hmm. know if it would work in a Les Paul, but I thought if it, if it was going to work in one, it would work in the gold top. And it does so great. Yeah. Which I probably shouldn't have said of that. I should have probably asked you what your thoughts were when you plugged into it. Well, and actually, that was the thing that I noticed is I've played that Les Paul before, and I felt like I've fought that Les Paul a little bit, and I loved its age. I loved that it was old. I loved that it had history. I loved that it was kind of dinged up. It wasn't, you know, checking or anything at that point, but, you mm. know, it, I just I just loved its history. Yeah. But I never really loved playing it whenever I would plug it in. I was always like, eh, I mean, it sounds fine. Yeah. But when I played it with your Marshall and with your Black Star through the Savage Cab, and then I tossed it on that bridge pickup, which was the Baker Act, I thought that it was a glorious tone. And I played a few things that I've never played before just playing it. So it hmm. inspired new song when I played it and I went, Ooh, this is nice. And then I knocked it up to the neck pickup yeah. and I went, it's like they were meant for each other. I know. I know. It's I'm... just even and it's perfect. So part of that is set up. It's set up well. Yeah. So excellent job, Lloyd. Cause I know you did it yourself, <laughs> but the other side of it 
is just the marriage of all the things. And we've talked about this before. You're the one that taught me that, is that it is a marriage of all the parts. It is the guitar and the amp. It's the guitar, the cable, the pedals it runs through, and the amp, and the speakers. And then, if it's going to the front of house, what mic do you have sitting in front of it? What PA is going on? You know, it's going to sound different through a D&B rig, or a Mackie rig, or, you know, whatever. All of these things count, and I think you have a good marriage right now. Yeah. Well, guitar tone marriage. You have a good personal marriage, too. I mean, Tanya's no. wonderful. Yeah. she's yeah. She really yeah, is. I, I mean, would agree. You guys make it work. You know? <laughs> I mean, 30 cats and all. But oh, gosh. it is... That guitar sounds fantastic. It's it's well done. I was concerned that the mid-range would be too much, because it definitely kicked the mid-range no. up. And it's not. It really, nope. really works. And like you said, the marriage between the Duncan 59 and the neck, I was shocked. I'm like... Because you had just got done playing my new Les Paul that's got the yep. classic 57s in it, which maybe talk about here in a moment. And you're like, yeah, okay, this is great and everything. And when you flipped over to the, and you did the bridge and a neck pickup in the Les Paul on the 2020. But when you went to the gold top yep. and you flipped to that neck pickup and you played some, you were like, whoa. Because <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. There is something special about the Duncan 59 in that guitar. Mm-hmm. It really is. And and it works. And I agree with you. It works so good with that Baker Act. The middle position is beautiful. They uh, complement each other well. There are people out there that will retire guitars. And I always felt like it didn't make sense when somebody's like, oh, I retired that guitar. It just doesn't go out anymore. And I'm like, why are you retiring guitars? If you don't want to play it anymore, sell it. If it's a museum piece, then hang it up somewhere. But don't retire it. Put it in a case and just put it away. Do something with it. And to some extent, your gold top had started to become a retired guitar. It had. And it's almost like it got its hip surgery. Yeah. You know, it's back in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm playing doubles tennis again. It's time to go. You know, it's amazing how... I could totally see your gold top being your number one again, simply because you changed a pickup. Yeah, I don't know. I I find uh, that I'm enjoying both of them immensely now, where before I was really enjoying one of them a lot. Yeah, and I would agree with you because when I plugged in your 2020 standard, I really liked the way it felt. It also seemed very inspiring. I had played on that 2020 going, ooh, well, that feels good. Ooh, I like that. Oh, that's that feels really good. It just felt good. And then you handed me the 76, something that I'd known I had struggled with before. Yeah. And I felt like I could play it just as easy. And I went, oh, well, I like that a lot. Um, the guitar that we refer to as our guitar, or I refer to as our yep. guitar, which is the mm-hmm. black PRS that you own. It's a 96. The yep. Dragon 2s, right? It has Dragon 1s Dragon in it. 1s. Which are the ceramic pickups, kind of interestingly, because yeah. most people are like, oh, ceramic pickups suck. But actually, it sounds really good in this guitar. But yeah, go on. Yeah, well, I'll finish this. and then, Yeah, that reminded me of something about the Baker Axe. But... We often commented on that was the best guitar that we owned was that PRS. Yeah. Even though you didn't play it all that much, you liked the vibe of the your your classic Les Paul more. Mm-hmm. And your Les Paul and my standard gold top and the PRS 
at my house in Minnesota years ago, plugged yep. all three of them into that same Marshall, by the way, that we did here again. Yeah. And and we both we both commented that just how great that PRS sounded just straight mm-hmm. in compared to both our other Les Pauls. It just brought something out, which is why I'm I've always like, if you're not using that thing, send it up my way. I'd love to Love to yeah. give it a whirl. Love to give it some patina if you uh, need some help in that yeah. department. You know I've got that down. Yeah, you do. This is polyester. It'll take some time. I'll set it out for the cats. <laughs> <laughs> let the yeah. cats do their thing. <laughs> yeah, don't let Gabe touch it. He doesn't get to touch <laughs> no, or urinate on it or whatever. Uh, but we both commented on my standard always didn't sound modern. You know, it, it was interesting how mm-hmm. both your Les Paul and the PRS, it just... it. I don't remember the language that you used, but I understood it at the time that it it just had like an old school vibe to it, I guess, which I always liked. But well, this brings up an interesting point to it as well, because I think what you were going to go to before was one of the things I really appreciated at the time about my CE22 PRS was it's very high output. And I felt like it hit the front end of an amplifier really hard. And because of that, you got a lot of tube saturation and you really made the amp work. And if you have a great amp, great, let the amp work. You actually told me about the Baker Act and the Baker Act homage is a lot higher than what one would expect. I wasn't sure what I would think about because I generally like low output pickups, which... PFs, pickups, usually ohm out at around 8. And the Baker Act is 14. I was like, okay. I wasn't expecting to favorably enjoy this pickup in the Les Paul. I thought it would be fine, but I didn't expect to enjoy it like like I am enjoying it. Well, and actually, I'm looking at the back of mine right now, and it says 17.3K. Oh, And it's an Alnico 5 magnet. Yeah, so it's higher than what I remember. So 17 over double the homage of what our PFs are. So I expected it to sound like a high output pickup. It doesn't sound like a high output pickup. If you compare it next to my uh, 2020 standard that you played, it's got more output, but it's not twice the output. And I asked, I, I asked Pat about that a little bit and I'd already started thinking, I was like, you know, I don't know if I've ever played a high output pickup with an Alnico magnet. I think all the high output pickups I've ever played were ceramic. And so this one is an Alnico with high output and it totally retains the PAF flavor that I love with uh, everything else that we described that just makes it work with that guitar. And it doesn't sound like it's a super saturated pickup. No. And, And that's one of the things that I noticed right away was when I think of high output, most of the time what I think of is it's going to sound like Metallica. It's going to sound like Iron Maiden. You know, that's yeah. what I think of. But when I played yours, it sounded like classic rock. Yeah, it did. And it sounded glorious. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. The mid-range is so beautiful. That's what when I hit on that test clip and just kind of a slightly broken up Marstone hit just on the bridge, hit this clean G chord, I was like, oh my, where have you been all my life? You know, this was, yeah, right. I wish I could go back all those years that I played with that guitar. I was like, oh, I wish I would have had this pickup for it. And I enjoyed it then, That's too. That's how you would fun. have gotten your platinum album. I know. Instead of a gold. Yep. Oh, oh, ridiculous. Dang it. 
So real quick, not that I want to stop talking about gear, but I'm going to give you my first impressions real quick because it'll lead to this one thing. I remember you sliding that door open and walking in and I see the noose and I joked about the noose, but that was not the main thing that I saw. What I saw was signs, Garalt signs, you know, your last name about real estate and auction. Mm -hmm. And I see these license plates up and these license plates date back to like the Great Depression (laughs) and all these license plates that happen to have the exact same license plates number for like 30 years, 40 years. I don't know how long it was, but it was a lot of plates. And then... I look over to the right and I start to see some more signs and then I see a screen door just (laughs) bolted to the wall. And I'm like, that's a weird place for a screen door. And that is what I'm going to ask you about. What's the screen door? Yeah, there's so many things in the crib that once I'm done, that will mean nothing to anybody. And yet we didn't have enough time to talk. And you were a willing listener, which I appreciate it because there's a story. (laughs) As any good therapist (laughs) is. (laughs) There's a story attached to almost everything in there. You mentioned the license plates. Um, The license plates, I mentioned to you, the the number on them is my grandfather's birthday is what those numbers are like. I know. It's uh, March 8th, 1904, 3-8-1904. That's the license plate. And I just love that. The screen door is also tied to my grandfather. Okay. He owned, uh, back in uh, the 20s, he started a garage. He was in the ground floor of automobile repair. And he might, I don't, I think I showed you the picture of him from the 20s in the shop. And he's like working on like a Model T. It's this old black and white photo. And I love a a Segway story. My nephew one time came in and he was looking at that picture. And he asked me if that picture was taken in the crib. And I love that. (laughs) I'm like... Oh, it's so great because that's the vibe the crib has. It's that old Absolutely. era. Uh, I watch movies in there. I've got a pull-down screen. And and for oh, the yeah. first month watching movies in there, I didn't watch anything but Westerns because it was just so <laughs> awesome yes. to sit there and watch it's Westerns. It's the vibe. It's the vibe. Yes. Exactly right. So my grandfather um, had this garage. Well, when Prohibition was repealed in, what was that, 30, somewhere around there? Yep. He decided somebody in town, this small little town of about 100 people in Woodworth, Illinois, that somebody should sell beer. And so he and his uh, brother-in-law, Uncle Ed, who was working with him in the garage, they worked a deal to get some beer into town. And so they sold beer out of there. Well, soon selling beer became more profitable than actually working on the automobiles. And so he built a small, (laughs) yeah, he built a small tavern. Perfect. Yeah, of course. Things don't change. So he built yeah, a small right. tavern right next to the garage, attached to it. It's actually attached to the garage. And he ran both for a little while, eventually let somebody else run the garage, and he just ran the tavern. And he served some food, too. So it was more like a bar and grill today. That oh, door yeah. that is hanging on my crib wall is the original screen door that went into that tavern. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I found that up in, in a shed. Amazing a shed that my grandfather used to own stuck up up in the rafters. Uh, we were cleaning stuff out, and my dad is one who told me, he's like, do you know what that is? And I, I had no idea. And he told me, and I'm like, I'd love to have that. 
Yeah. And, you know, it means nothing to anybody. But to me, Mm -hmm. everybody went through that door, you know? Yeah. Well, you actually used to tell me about a fish fry. Yeah. And there was something really important with that door in the fish fry. That's right. Yeah. I think 1947 until 1974, he started having a fish fry from May through September every Saturday. Oh, no, every other Saturday for all those years until he retired in 74. And this fish fry, you know, it was a different era, different time. Also, living in the middle of nowhere, there weren't all the restaurants around. But it became a thing where everybody knew that every other Saturday throughout the summer, there was going to be a fish fry at Elmer's Tavern. Now, it was all takeout. People would eat in the park. They would come and get the fish, and they would eat in the park. When he first started doing the fish, actually, it was... If you bought a beer, you got a free fish sandwich to go with it. Well, he had people start coming in and buying a six-pack of beer and taking the fish home for supper. And so he's like, oh, I better start. <laughs> I better start uh, uh, charging some money. And it became popular, so we started having these fish fries. Well, we do a fish fry here now using Grandpa's old family recipe that he created. Yeah. We still do that. Our church does it. And we do 100 pounds of fish, which makes... About 450 fish sandwiches. That's 100 pounds. The last 10 years of him doing the fish fry from 64 to 74, they were doing over 600 pounds of fish. Oh, my gosh. And they would start at 9 in the morning, and they would always sell out, and they would cook fish until it was all gone. It was that. about feeding the 5,000. It was that popular. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. That's amazing. And people talk about it to this day because it was really a highlight for a lot of people bringing their families. Yeah. It was a different time. But everybody who bought that fish went through that screen door that's hanging on my crib. Yeah. And I love that. It's the history. I told you before. I love. It's the history history of of the town on top of it. Yeah. I love I love all that stuff. And so I look up at that and I know that story. And it's got a really cool handle on it. The door handle is actually a butternut bread handle. It's got a handle with a metal brace that goes across the door. And I'm like, somebody's going to pull that down years from now. They're going to pull that butternut sign off of there, and they're going to burn the door, unfortunately. But it's true. Yeah, there's a lot of people's grandpas and grandmas that went through that door. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's just so amazing. And great grandpas and great grandmas that went through that door. It was fun for me to take a picture of it and send it to my aunts and uncles who used to work the fish fry. And I just put it on, I posted it on Facebook and I just linked some of them in and I said, anybody recognize this door? And it was really fun to hear them all kind of talk about, Oh, that's the door. That's grandpa's door. Cause the tavern doesn't, doesn't yeah. exist anymore. It's the only thing left. It's all gone. That's amazing. Yeah. So we, we should probably get to, kind of a close on this because I know we could probably keep talking about this forever. And actually I kind of wish that I had a YouTube channel that actually just went showing off people's guitar rooms, like their guitar sanctuaries, their layers, or as Mm. my brother has the fortress of politude. Yeah. I would love that. It would be so cool. The corn crib that I just referred to as the crib you know, because it's an old corn yeah. crib. And people at first were like, you know, people don't really talk like that anymore about check out your crib. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, right. now that I've ever been hit, I'm like, no, it's it's a real crib. I was like trying to think of what to call it because around here, they all called it the granary. 
They didn't call it the court. They didn't call it oh. the crib. It started out as a crib, but then they made it into more for grain instead of whole corn mm-hmm. cobs. Like Tanya still calls it the uh, the granary, but I refer to it as the crib. Well, I was kind of debating on all that. Paul actually told me I should call it the fortress of loyitude. <laughs> so so he got to use the name i don't think that works we can't do that no way no no which actually your crib has become a little bit famous because after i posted it up on instagram ohms in hawaii who has become a pretty fun friend in all of this uh this therapy that has gone on he is very faithful and is listening every once in a while we will text and call and all of that and he said, how do I get to the crib? I would like to play in the corn crib. Oh, you're kidding. Let me be in the corn crib. And I said, you know what? I'm willing to bet he would love to have you. Absolutely. He's a big fan of guitar. He's a big fan of all this. And honestly, you know, he's a big fan of the show as much as I'm a fan of his his Instagram stuff that he does. Yeah. And I think that he's become a fan of you because of yeah. being on this. Uh, he's in Hawaii. He's in Hawaii. It's Ohm's in Hawaii. We should probably get to our final thoughts now, though. So in final thoughts, there are some things that we didn't get to talk about that I would love to talk about. And we should someday actually talk about that PRS body Mm. on the workbench and how you acquired that. But I guess we're not going to have time for that one today. But at the end, my final thoughts that I take from this is this opportunity never would have happened had I not done the due diligence of just making the call. It would have been easy to say, well, I kind of want to hit this guitar store. I kind of want to get there. I kind of want to just get to Wisconsin. But if there was a chance of seeing something like this that you own, that you have, that you're real proud of, to get the opportunity to get to see it firsthand and hang out with my friend. These are the memories that you don't always get. Yes. You can get your memories from seeing Dave's guitar shop. You can get your memories from, you know, going to a movie. You can get your memories from different things, but this is something extra special. And so in my final thoughts, as much as, you know, we could talk about anything that was going on, I would say The most important part of all of this, the only reason why we have this story to talk about right now is because I value the relationship and I value something you value. And it is no lie that when you slid open that door and I saw what you had put together, I felt like I was in a place that spoke who you were. Hmm. And that is probably the most emotional part of it. It's everything I expected Hmm. and so much more. Hmm. It's an excellent space. Hmm. You have done a great job of making it individual. And as you've mentioned before, it's a work in progress. Hmm. But let's just say the progress is in the right direction. Hmm. It looks amazing. Hmm. So that's my final thoughts. I'm glad glad you called. My thoughts of you being here are, uh, I thought that I would probably be two or three cats shorter when you left. Cause I thought they were going to go with home with your kids. They loved, yeah. they loved those cats. Yeah, they did. <laughs> when I pulled up the lane, Eli cried after we left. 
<laughs> when I pulled up the lane. He cried because <laughs> Gabe was his cat now. Oh, my. Gabe talks about him all the time. And you would have gladly given him up. Totally. But I couldn't have him peeing all over my new King of Tone. And he would have done have it. can't have that happen. <laughs> yeah. No, when I pulled up the lane, because you guys got there before I got there, I was just so happy that I'm not on the way really to anywhere that people generally come by. I've had people say they're driving out east. They'll call me up and say, we're going to be coming through Chicago. How far are you from Chicago? And I'll be like, four hours. You know, and <laughs> it's they're not like, a day trip. And then they're like, oh, OK, well, uh, OK, well, next time we should we should plan that into our drive. Yeah. You know, nobody just comes right on by. But a few people have for various things. Mm-hmm. And it always means a lot. And so for you taking the time to stop by and for me to be able to kind of show you where we're at and, and just to see you guys, it meant a lot that you would do that, even for a short amount of time. I hope it'll work out that you could stay longer sometime, obviously. But when I pulled up that lane, because yeah. you got here before I did, because I was out working, and I came back, and I, I just saw, I mean, literally, like, every cat we have was out there around your kids. <laughs> and yeah. I wish I would have had a picture of that. And I was like... They are the cat whisperer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was it was such a great visual. <laughs> and then to have you walk into the crib, I was like, I, you know, I didn't want you to be disappointed, you know? Oh. And I generally know that you weren't. You know, you're not, you're not, yeah. you're not feigning any of that. And so I'm, I'm glad you finally got to see it and that you enjoy it as much as I do. Cause I, if something happened to that space, you can't rebuild it, you know? No. And, and if something no. happens, something happens. That's just the way life is. But right. I've never had a space out of all the places I've lived that I couldn't just pick up and just move away and be like, oh, I'll, I'll move into a new space. I would like to take that crib with me. You know, if I moved anywhere, yeah, it would be tough for me to leave that space. It's, it's my fortress of loitude. It's your Graceland. <laughs> it's my fantasy island. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Anyway, thanks for coming by. It's amazing. I am so glad that you have this place for yourself, and and I understand. You know, not everybody can have this. Not everybody gets the opportunity to have a space that they get to call their own. And to have this is something that is a privilege. It is something that takes actually a very loving and understanding spouse for us. And at the same time, it's something that is a part of our therapy. It's a place to escape. It's a place to relax. It's a place to be creative and feel like we're not impeding on other people's area and and polluting their place with sound or whatever. Yeah. I just I love it. I yeah. love that you have it. I love that Paul has it. I love that Jason has it. I hear that Barber has a new house and he's getting some space to do some stuff and I love that he has it. It's an amazing thing to have. And if you have the opportunity out there in the world, if you have the opportunity to be able to put together a space that is your own, it is pretty awesome and pretty liberating. Yeah. We all need it. There is more to it, but this is as far as we can go today. I thank you for your time, and I thank you for sharing it with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming. All right. Well, until next time. Bye. 
Well, that's all the time we have for the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time. <laughs>